morning, dear saints, and Lenten tide blessings to you. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Thursday, February 22nd, and you are listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today we take up Deuteronomy chapter 11. Moses passionately urges the Israelites to love and serve the Lord with all their heart and soul. He emphasizes the importance of obedience and remembrance. Moses recounts the extraordinary signs and wonders God performed in Egypt and throughout their wilderness journey, and he underlines the unique covenant between God and his people. Moses highlights the blessings that come with faithfulness and the consequences of disobedience, showing the direct link between following God's commandments and the prosperity of the land promised to them. Friends, how do you tune in? Over the air, online at kfuo.org or as a podcast? Maybe you use the KFUO radio app on your phone or your smart speaker. Well, no matter how you're joining us this morning, thank you for being here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. So when you get time, visit them at lhfmissions.org. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can reach out to me at pastorboo at gmail.com, on Facebook, just search for Phil Boo, um, or, well, we're not live today, I'm afraid, but when we're live, you can always call in 1-800-730-2727. Joining us this morning is the Reverend Jacob Herkamp. He's the pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Noblesville, Indiana. Good morning, Pastor Herkamp, and welcome back to the program. It's awesome to be with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, I'm very happy to have you here as we open up and lay bare Deuteronomy 11. It's going to be uh, a little bit of a spicy one. Well, not too bad. We've had worse, but it's it's always a struggle for our old selves whenever we well, whenever we're confronted with the reality that our faith should result in responses and good works, and we deal with that a little bit today in our text. Uh, before we get into any of it, though, just start us off with prayer, and we'll jump right in. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your Holy Word. We pray that as we dive into Deuteronomy chapter 11, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your Word with thanksgiving and praise. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, would you like to wrap up perhaps what has been going on up to this point? I know that we ended chapter 10 and, you know, Moses had some pretty, you know, stern things to tell the people, uh, and that's going to continue a little bit, but perhaps just let us know where we've been so we know where we're going. Uh, so I would say that um, for our English readers, the chapter divisions are not all that helpful in this situation between 10 and 11. Um, and what we're going to be dealing with for the first little bit of chapter 11 is going back um, all the way to chapter 10, verse 12, and um, what we're going to be hearing is the advancing of the theme of the love that God asks of Israel. Um, So I would really encourage all of our listeners to reread Deuteronomy 10 um, in light of chapter 11, because all the themes that are going to be coming out in our discussion today really start back in 10. So uh, chapter 11, verse 1 of 11 there has that therefore clause. So everything preceding 
in chapter 10 um, is, is going to be um, talked about even further. So um, it's a big rehearsal of who God is, the love that God showed um, to Israel, even when they were down in Egypt. Um, and so here we are. Now, therefore, love the Lord your God because he has done these. And so chapter 10. Well, let's pick it up then there. Yeah. Well, as you say, let's go ahead and jump into 11 then, because you're right. We have that transition from, you know, ending with Moses's stern reminder that, you know, God's gracious renewal of his covenant, well, comes with that obedience, right, to his laws. They're necessary to prosper in the land. And so let's look at 11. Oh, I'll just read one through seven. Here we go. You shall therefore love Yahweh your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of Yahweh your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, how Yahweh has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel." For your eyes have seen all the great work that Yahweh, of Yahweh, that he did. All right, here we go. So we're at the end of seven. So yeah, he's bringing to their remembrance, um, well, a couple of different things that happened in the wilderness. Take us through it. Yeah, so we get the uh, reminder of Exodus, the um, Passover, especially the, um, the fact of Exodus 15. Uh, the, the events of the Red Sea, the song um, that we have, that we, we're going to be singing here soon enough at the vigil of Easter. Um, the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Um, and then that Yahweh is a man of war. Um, those are a couple of lessons that we will hear um, in that song itself. And so what Moses appears to be doing is, bringing this up to, okay, you remember all these things. You have seen it. Um, so he's not speaking to the, the newest generation, but he's speaking to some of those people who have uh, lived to tell the tale of the Exodus event, um, who are still wandering in the wilderness um, with the, um, these newer generations of Israelites who are about to enter into the land. Um, that God promised to them. And because you have seen these things, because you have um, known them, um, consider the discipline of the Lord. And I'm going to talk about discipline for a few minutes here. Um, this discipline is not necessarily a bad thing. Discipline is not a bad thing at all. Um, and that noun for discipline um, in Hebrew is Masar, um, and that noun only appears here in Deuteronomy. Uh, you have the verb Yasar um, also appearing 
in Deuteronomy 4.36 and 8 verse 5. But it's interesting because um, if you look at like the Septuagint, um, they use the word paideia. This is where we get the word pedagogy um, for, um, for teaching. So discipline's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Um, and we see what this discipline involves. It involves his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds uh, that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, which is why um, what he did to the army of Egypt, again, going back to Exodus 14 and 15 in particular, uh, especially when he starts talking about their horses and their chariots, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Um, and so um, I think the the hearers ought to, the original hearers of this sermon, because that's what it really is, um, this exhortation probably have that in their mind as well um, as we um, hear these words from, from Moses here. Um, and so... Uh, this discipline that God has for his people also continues um, in a way that um, instructs them into proper living um, and how um, the, the occurrence of number 16, what he did to Dathan and Abiram, uh, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben. That is the same event um, that's, Korah, that's part of Korah's rebellion. Um, here we don't have Korah um, as part of this um, sermon. He just uses Dathan and Abiram um, to remind the hearers of that event of the earth opening up because of uh, the, uh, the fact that um, Korah and uh, Dathan or Dathan and Abiram thought that they should also be like Moses and Aaron, and they were jealous of the, of the work um, or of the various vocation and offices that Moses and Aaron carried um, in the time of the wilderness wanderings. And so um, in so doing, they grumbled against not only Moses and Aaron, but also against God. And uh, the, the event was um, God judging them by swallowing, having the earth open up and swallowing them with their households, their tents and everything else. Um, so there is part of this discipline is not just, um, dare I say, gospel, but there's also law involved in the discipline um, that we, we have here. So this instruction is both law and gospel um, for, for the people of Israel. Um, but we need to also remember what we hear in various places, say in the Proverbs and then also in Hebrews, that God disciplines those whom he loves. We need to keep that in mind as well. So what is God doing? He is instructing them in holy living. And part of that holy living is knowing that you have been loved by God, um, and that love is what's going to ought, that that is what ought to motivate you to love the Lord your God and to live according to um, His statutes, His rules, His commandments always. So as I look at this, and you talk about 
discipline, right? From Musar, discipline or instruction. You made that wonderful connection to to pedagogy. To, you know, we teach we teach uh, our children. We raise them up. We talked about that quite a bit when we were uh, discussing Deuteronomy six. And so, I guess the question that I have on behalf of the listeners at home is that as we look through this and we see these incidents where God is showing His mighty hand. You know, this whole outstretching arm, right? We think exactly of Egypt, and of course, Moses makes it pretty explicit about Egypt and Pharaoh. We think about um, the situations that he presents us with, how there was a judgment against uh, Dethan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. You know, we, they were swallowed up, not just them, but their whole families. So, so as we look at that in the context that you presented it, which is good, how do we take that, and I know we can't just pull it up and drop it into our 21st century context and say, you know, it's just a one for one. But but how do we experience discipline today? Like, what, what does this mean for us? So that's a great question. But I would think for for us, as we enter into, uh, we're talking about this in light of this, I'm, I'm thinking about this in the season of Lent, um, just from where we are in the church here, but discipline disciplining our bodies to conform to uh, to what our Lord gives us in His law. Thinking of the Ten Commandments, what are we? Um, we're, we we face consequences for our sins in this in this life. Um, the uh, but why do we face the consequences of of sin? Why do we have broken broken relationships for instance uh well because we sin against each other um and what do we what do we desire from from this well god desires that because of our broken relationships we can be reconciled to one another god does not uh destroy uh dathan and abiram just because he wants to, but it's for our instruction, um, for the pe- the rest of the people's instruction as well, um, and so that people realize, no, God's God's word is what is, God's word is the standard by which we are to live, um, and in our in our day, um, our. Our discipline, the discipline that we receive, might be, uh, we'll probably feel it um, in some, like I said, some broken relationships that we've that we've done to ourselves, um, or stubbing our own our own toes in a proverbial sense of simply um, not being um, a loving father, a loving son, for instance. Um, thinking of my own vocations. Um, and, and the like, but God, God is working through those things to instruct us, to remind us, know that I, I still love you. Um, if I, uh, did not, um, condemn, condemn your sin, um, and make you and, and cut you down by, by, by my law, um, there'd be no way for you to recognize sin as sin. Um, and, uh, thus, bring you to a point of repentance where my gospel would come come into your life as the true salve uh, for your salvation, the salve of Jesus Christ. Uh, 
I hope that answers your question. Yeah, and I, I don't and think I, it does. No, it does. Um, and I, well. I don't want to. I don't want to highlight something you said because <laughs> I was going to say I want to highlight something you said because you said God didn't just punish these people or discipline them. Well, in this case, it's pretty clear punishment, right? But it, it's a discipline of the whole community. But He didn't just do it because He wanted to, right? This was a result of their rebellion, their sin. And so, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but it seems like when we experience sort of the earth opening its mouth and swallowing us up, even if it's just proverbially, it's a reminder that at the end of the day, we're not in charge, uh, that, that, that the things happen because we're, <laughs> we're sinning, right? You know, bad things happen sometimes just because you make bad mistakes, and God certainly allows us the consequences of our sins and our rebellion, if nothing else or maybe even for the purposes of leading us back to him. Well, um, I was just speaking with uh, my women's Bible study about some of the Old Testament stories um, that we have. Um, going back to Genesis 3, for instance, the day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, God doesn't kill Adam and Eve that day, for instance. He actually... Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't actually speak to, he doesn't curse man until after he curses uh, the serpent and promises a redeemer, the seed of the, the woman. Um, and then he speaks of what happens now for man and woman. Man and woman are going to face hardships. They're going to toil for their food um, and so on and so forth. They're going to have problems with raising children and childbearing and, and they're going to fight with one another because of their relationship being um, broken, because no longer are they able to love the way that God um, called them to love, because the image of God has been lost in the fall. But God shows his mercy to them by cursing them and saying, but I'm going to love you still. And he clothes them properly with the skins of animal garments. Um, and he's already provided a way for reconciliation. Even he's a patient, long-suffering father who disciplines so that his children learn and take prop take his word seriously. Um, that yes, sin is is going to be dealt with uh, in this fashion, but there is a redeemer. He's my own son, Jesus. No, I think that's an excellent point to make. And and that's that's what I'm getting at because there's so many people out there that I guess they feel the disciplining hand of the Lord. And they might say, Oh, why is God punishing me? And and we see here that God has great love for his creation, and yet he knows what's best for us. Even as we get into the commandments. Um, God doesn't set out these commandments because he just wants to dictate all of these arbitrary rules so that, that he can have control over us. I mean, he has control over us. He doesn't have to do any of this. He gives us the commandments for good reasons. Go ahead. Yeah, he, he, he gives them to us so that we might know his will. If, we're, if we call ourselves the children of God, well, um, you know, uh, sons, um, like one of my, I have two, I have two sons and I have a daughter as well. And I'm very blessed in that regard. Um, but, um, sons do what the fathers do. 
Our children follow their, follow their parents. They imitate. So if we call ourselves children of God, well, we ought to know God's will. Um, and he lays it out for us in the Ten Commandments so that we might be as, as much like him as possible. He tells us elsewhere that, you know, I'm the Lord your God and I'm holy, so you be holy. Right? Um, that's not, we're, we're learning his character and we're called to imitate him because he calls us his children. So children, imitate your father. Um, to some well, let's extent. keep on going because we're going to get a little insight. We're going to get a little insight into how he's going to keep on encouraging them toward these commandments. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. We'll add these to the conversation. Moses continues, You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess and that you may live long in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers, to give to them and to their offspring a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables, but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, with, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that Yahweh your God cares for. The eyes of Yahweh your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Well, uh, that's the end of verse 12. Lots of interesting stuff in there. Just the one thing I kind of want to illustrate just at the, at the get-go, which I don't know, perhaps it has some theological significance, but he, he makes this distinction between the land of Egypt, which we know is is irrigated by the rising of the Nile and and contrast that with the the promised land whereby it's irrigated by these rains that happen all the time and the climate's a little bit more diverse and that sort of thing. Um, just just sort of even I mean, you know, off the top, the sort of the easy stuff, what is what does that mean? Like what's the distinction there, you think? All right. So um the land of Egypt, um, like you said, relied upon the annual flooding of the Nile. Um, the water was likely, they were probably moving the water by canals into their fields. So they were probably building some sort of a little canal system so that the water would go into the fields themselves um, and thus be watered that way. So the people were able to ma manipulate where the water went uh, so that it would be um, grounds for a good harvest. Um, but due to the land, the nature of the land in Cana, or Canaan here, um, you have uh, Moses saying the land that you're going to possess is a land of hills and valleys. It relies upon the rain from heaven. So you have to rely upon God himself to give you the rains. It's not, you can't, you can't uh, manipulate where the water, you can't manipulate the rivers to give you water like Egypt, you're going to have to rely upon me for your daily bread. Uh, I would say another, that would be another way to, to think about it. But Israel has to trust Yahweh, sure, the Lord, sure. to provide the rain for a harvest. Uh, so going back to that, um, day, that daily, yearly reliance even upon, uh, upon the Lord's grace to uh, produce a harvest that would then feed the people. 
We have just a few minutes, about five, before we need to take a break. So what else can we learn from this text? Let's get into that. All right. So um, so it, for ourselves, um, if we want to apply this to, to our day and age, um, well, we are... Um, we we rely we we are reminded of what our daily bread is um, in the the Lord's prayer as well as in the first article of our creed where um, the Lord um, lays out for us what those things are um, how we are how we receive them Luther does a great job of listing out you know family home house shoes all of those things right um, and we should also be like Israel here to not rely upon our own strength or our own intellect for these things, but to recognize um, that they do come from the hand of the Lord uh, rather than our own strength. Um, and um, the uh, so so holding on to that promise, realizing, and when we say the Lord's Prayer, not just skipping over, give us this day our daily bread, but actually understanding that everything that we receive, whether good or bad, according to Job, uh, comes from the hand of the Lord. Um, and so realizing and recognizing that the good and gracious gifts that we have come from his hand and him alone, rather than our own strength or intellect or our own powers. Um, and then uh, the uh, the interesting thing here is uh, two, going back to that first verse, verse eight. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong, uh, and go in and take possession of the land that you are going to possess. Moses wants the people to have this for a very, very long time, into perpetuity, into eternity, even. Um, how is this to be done? Uh, well, there's the condition, the law of God that we've just talked about. Why should you keep this law? Well, because God has loved you and has chosen you and is wanting you to have this land. So listen to his word um, for your life um, so that you can do these things. Know, know the discipline, but know, know it as law and gospel. Know that he is ever with you, guiding you, and here is how he guides you. Trust his word, trust him for your for your food, trust him for the water that is needed to bring bring a harvest for you and for your for your children. Um, and we are in today's age called to do the same. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to pick up with 13, where Moses explains the implications of his sermon, right? The conclusions that even the rainfall in the land of Canaan will depend upon Yahweh. Lots of good stuff coming up. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, 
Go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today, it's the Reverend Jacob Herkamp. He's the pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Noblesville, Indiana. Friends, don't forget that you can contact me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E, spell it right, at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, and you can even call in 1-800-730-2727. Well, getting right back into our text, as we said, we're going to head into the next section. Brother, I'm going to go ahead and, oh, I just, I'm going to read down to uh, the end of verse 17 to get us started. Here we go. Sounds good. Moses continues, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love Yahweh your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of Yahweh will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that Yahweh is giving you. That's the end of 17. So brother, as we read this, boy, I tell you what, that just seems harsh, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's an if then. If you obey, then good things. If you turn aside, then bad things. Um, it seems very transactional as in light of Christ we don't often think of God this way. And, and I think I would even go so far as to say we discourage people from thinking that, that God is going to individually punish you because of a sin or whatever. I, I don't know. How do we understand? Or actually, how does, what does this mean for the people of that time? And then how can we understand it today? Well, I think you need to take uh, this in light of the previous statements and we can even see, we've seen it play out in history several times. Um, there are conditional, there are, there are conditions that God makes when it comes to this covenant that um, Moses mediates. Um, and we have to be aware of that. It's not, this is not the same as the covenant made to Abraham, uh, for instance. Uh, in the exact same way, I should say. Abraham is promised the land um, to to a degree. Um, And here we're talking about the land that Israel is going to enter into or supposed to be entering into. Um, But God here is speaking through Moses to say, yes, obey. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And we know that they don't. We know that um, from the very, from the very beginning of time, when Matt, when Adam was even placed into uh, the garden, um, God is the one who puts him there. He was planted there. Um, he did. Uh, he fell because of he was tempted and fell, and he was kicked out. And the same thing happens over and over again. 
um, due to our sinful nature. We are called to obey. Here, Israel is called to obey commandments. Um, we know that they will not. Um, just reading the rest of the Old Testament, we know that many times um, famines came over the land of Canaan. Um, the book of Ruth is written around a time of famine. We have uh, the prophet Elijah later, um, Elijah and Elisha being around um, the land of Israel during the time of severe famines um, because of them turning towards other gods and worshiping them, their hearts being deceived um, to follow Molech and Baal and many others. Um, and we, uh, we see here too that there are things that God is conditional about. Yes, this land um, is promised uh, to Abraham, but the book of Hebrews uh, makes sure to remind you all and us all that Abraham never actually had that land here. He was a sojourner within the land and it was promised to him that his, his um, offspring would have it. Um, yet Hebrews, the author of the Hebrews, makes it perfectly clear that Abraham was looking beyond um, this land uh, and was looking to the holy Zion um, in heaven. And, and we too have that same mentality or we ought to have that mentality. The land um, promised to the people of Israel was taken away um, in different ways throughout the biblical story. Um, and yet by God's grace, um, he let them return after the exile, the Babylonian captivity. Christ was born in the land, um, just as he promised he would be. And Christ has established the new heavens and the new earth um, that we will get to enjoy because he has prepared that place for us, the place where Abraham already resides. I, I think that is an extremely good point because we, we, we look at it and we say, okay, God made these promises and we connect those promises, and rightly so, to the promises he makes us through Christ. But then in Christ, Christ, you know, fulfills both sides of the bargain, so to speak. Here, he's saying, and, and God's really just speaking a truth, and that is, when you go in here, if you live the way I'm going to instruct you to live, things are going to go fine. But when you turn aside, and, and let's make no mistake, God already kind of knows, not kind of, but he does know where they're headed. And yet he still loves them enough to give them the law anyway, to give them the chance anyway. And, but he doesn't want them to be surprised, too, that when they go astray, we almost could say, that, that it isn't because God quit loving them. It's because they started being adulterous. They started chasing after other gods. They started to not rely on the one true God. And, and, and now we have here today, we have like the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And, and that brings my heart right back here to I'm going to be the one who sends the rain. We pray that God will continue to provide for us each and every day. And yet, how often do we chase after other gods? Yeah, I, that's just sort of the things that are going through my head. Go ahead. Yeah, well, and I want to make perfectly clear, um, God's demeanor towards his people does not change. He loves his people. It's our demeanor towards him that changes. We're, we become afraid of God. 
it's Adam and Eve who are afraid and they hide themselves. God doesn't hide himself from them. God doesn't hide himself from Israel either. He sends his messengers, his spokesmen, his prophets to call them to repentance for, for these um, gross errors and sins of going after other gods and the like when it occurs. Um, and so God's demeanor of love towards his people does not change. Uh, the way that his love is experienced might change, but we can see, uh, and we can give thanks to God for this, um, case in point being a pastor, uh, visiting people who have done gross sins, have committed gross sins, and thought they got away with it, um, and then um, being brought to their knees, being brought to repentance, and they say, thank you, Lord, for bringing me to this point. It's kind of like the prodigal son um, who realizes, I, I had it better with my father, and I know his servants have it better with my father, so I'm going to go back and at the very least try to throw myself at his mercy to be a servant. And God, God shows even greater uh, mercy. He uh, brings him back and says, my son who was dead is alive. God's love doesn't change. Right. I think that's a very good point. And, and he wants their love for him to reflect his love for them, as, as we even would say from the New Testament, right? We love because he first loved us. And so that, that sentiment is brought out a little bit as we continue to add some verses. I'm going to go through 25. You, therefore, shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving Yahweh your God, walking in his ways, and holding fast to him, then Yahweh will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon, from the river to the river Euphrates to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. Yahweh your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised to you. So that's the end of verse 25. So we're, we're getting some recall back to the same instructions that he gave in chapter 6, which we talked about. We called it catechizing your children. Well, well, here he's reemphasizing that almost word for word, uh, but but then making that connection that, you know, you're going into a place where these people are mightier than you. The only way you're going to succeed is with my help. But but again, this this is this law is good. It's not a bad thing. It's not a you need to go be my puppet so that I can just uh, revel in my control over you. God doesn't have that same sort of attitude. He's telling them, look, these things are for your good. Uh, but, you know, as we look through this, and I'd love to hear from you, I also want to hear a little bit about <laughs> just some of the, the like the 
the modern practices of some Jews where they literally will bind them to doorposts and frontlets between their eyes and that kind of thing. We talked about that. We talked about that when we went through chapter six too, but it's just kind of interesting. There's really a metaphor here where when we take it literally, we kind of miss the point in my opinion. Yeah. I, um, one thing that I did not note at the very beginning, but Moses, his audience for this, he, he says at the very beginning of all of this, uh, since I'm not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, you need to make a distinction and re just remember that, yes, the Israelites of that generation saw things, um, but seeing is not believing. Faith comes by hearing. And so I think we need to make that distinction here in verse um 18 and 19 and following teaching your children, how are they to teach their children? Well, they're going to have, um, have this taught to them. They're going to be told these things. Uh, and it's interesting to me. Um, you probably just dis discussed this before, um, in other places and times, but, uh, the Gentiles around them. So if we, go all the way to the book of Joshua for a quick moment and think about Rahab. Rahab is a Gentile. Yet she has heard everything that has transpired in, um, in Egypt. And she announces to those spies, I've heard, we have heard, and Jericho is trembling with fear because of what we have heard that your God has done in Egypt. For instance, uh, you think about um, later in the book of Samuel, the Philistines believe more about the Ark of God. They know more about the Ark of God than the Israelites do when they are holding on to it after they stole it, uh, and so on and so forth. They, they have a better seemingly understanding of what this God of Israel has done than the people do, uh, because they've heard. Um, so I think um, we should certainly see here, this is the act, and you already talked about this, is catechizing your children. Um, teach them by speaking to them. This, these words, um, even if, we, if, they're, if they're not literal, literally on your hand, um, I don't think they ought to be literally on your hand, uh, but they should be as if they are on your hand. Um, they're the... They're the words that ought to be on your lips, for, for goodness sake. Um, if we are Christian and we are reading our scripture, um, reading our Bible, well, the words of God ought to be the words that we use too. Um, and so um, binding them as a sign on your hand, well, um, in my opinion, um, might this just might be going in a different direction, but metaphorically speaking, what, why do you do what you do with your hands? Well, I do what I do with my hands. If I'm helping my neighbor with my hands, I'm helping my neighbor because the word of God tells me to. I've been loved by God. I was a sojourner. I need to help my neighbor. Uh, as the frontlets of between your eyes, well, I'm going to see things through the lens of scripture. Um, and to do that, to see, to see this life through the lens of scripture means to know those words, to make them my own. Uh, to make them my children's own so that they do the same. Is that kind of where you're going? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I mean, 
we make, I guess what I was just trying to contrast here is that in the same way that some of the Jews thought, well, we don't want to break the commandment of not speaking the Lord's name in vain, so we'll just never say the Lord's name out loud. We want to keep this commandment of binding these laws as a sign on our, our hands and frontlets between our eyes and our doorposts, so we're going to literally construct devices to be able to do that. I, I'm not saying okay. that they're not doing those things in earnest. What I'm saying is it, it kind of misses the point if you think that fulfills this. You know, oh, it's well, about exactly. guiding your whole life by it. Yeah, exactly. No, you're, you're, that's, that's correct. Sorry. So yeah, that's, that's perfect. Um, and, um, I was, I'm doing some reading cause this is the next class I have for my PhD is on the book of Deuteronomy. And it's interesting to note, um, some of the studies these days, um, concerning who was writing at the time that the book of Deuteronomy was written and did people actually have um, the capabilities in their own houses to put these actually together, to bind them as a sign on your hand, to put them, these words of mine as frontless between your eyes, putting them on your house, write them on the doorposts, for instance. Well, if they, if they, if they didn't have the capabilities of doing that, that's always a good sign that their children were actually not only being taught by speaking, speaking these words, but they were written right there for them to see as well. Um, and to serve as um, that constant reminder that this house is marked by the Lord, similar to um, the Passover, the blood of the, the Passover lamb. Um, the Lord's words are here. The Lord's presence is here in his word. Uh, so I kind of, I would like to think that they actually did some of this stuff. We kind of still do that, you know, around the season of Epiphany, where we ask the Lord to bless our house for the time of the new year. Um, and, uh, and the like. So we, we still see some of that idea coming through in our own day and age. Um, but most certainly it should be more than just the literal writing things on your doorpost, but actually living it out um, in your day-to-day -day life. Oh, yeah, precisely. Because, you know, <laughs> we don't want to suggest that the ceremony is bad. Ceremony is great it, as long as it's pointing to a, an inner reality or teaching a reality. Uh, I just want to add a few more verses to the conversation to the end of chapter 12. And, and as our guest has already said, the chapter divisions here are, are, are nearly arbitrary, uh, but this is where we're, we've chosen to stop today, uh, starting with verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of Yahweh your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when Yahweh your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun, in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oak of Moreh? For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today." All right, brother, wrap us up, you know, by taking us through this, uh, especially this, this visualization of setting the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount 
e-ball. That's that's an interesting way to phrase it. Yeah. So um, I'm going to uh, refer if you if your Bible listeners here, your your listeners, uh, I highly recommend um, the Concordia pulpit com- or the Concordia commentary series book on Deuteronomy uh, for for this. But it's a really good um, deal. He speaks here just really quickly that there are two roads, uh, blessing and curse. Uh, there are no alternate routes. And these two roads go in opposite directions. Um, one um, to Mount Gerizim, the other to Mount Ebal, they are opposite each other. Um, and so uh, one takes Israel, one road takes Israel to the land of blessing. Um, the other exits from the road of blessing and makes that dramatic turn back to the wilderness and results in the curses. And something that we should not say here is that there, the, the, the text does not say that Moses is offering Israel a choice. There is no uh, imperative or anything like that where Moses says choose. Um, that's not what happened. Yahweh is the one who chooses Israel. Um, Israel never chooses Yahweh. All Moses is doing is putting in front of the nation these these blessings and curses. So what I like to think is, is that, you know, just like us, we have been chosen by God. We can choose um, to reject. Uh, we talk, we, we pray for those children who have been baptized and seem to grow up um, and then leave the church. They reject the faith of their baptism. That doesn't mean the baptism of God is null and void, um, but simply they have chosen to reject the blessings that baptism gives. Um, so Israel also can choose to reject um, the, the love that God has shown to them and thus love him in return. So they can reject to do that. Um, and that's what I think Moses is really getting at here. Be careful uh, with, with what's before you. It's not going to be easy um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but by, by remembering the love that God has shown to you and thus loving him, obeying the commandments of the Lord your God set before you, um, you will be blessed. And those are good blessings. Those are good temporal blessings. We are temporally blessed by, com- by keeping the commandments of God. Uh, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think anybody can argue with that. We can live a very, very nice and blessed life just simply by keeping the Ten Commandments. Um, does that mean we're doing it perfectly? Absolutely not. But we also can go to him when we do sin, and we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who uh, is the propitiation for our sins um, and keeps us steadfast. In pos- he's the one who possesses us. Uh, and... Uh, and certainly gives us the greater eternal blessings as well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's what we see here. We see that God is, I mean, we, we have the same language in Jeremiah, right? Choose this day whom you will serve. 
uh, it's 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 a recognition that there are only two ways. This is a binary. In the world, there are either believers or unbelievers. There are those who trust in God or don't. You know, there's really no such thing as someone who's like, well, I kind of believe. No, no there, there's either. And that's what he's telling them. You know, there's two different paths for you. And he's not. And I get what you're saying. He's not giving them a choice, but they do have a choice in the sense that they've already been called to faith. So that's not like they're choosing to believe. They, they already believe, but they can certainly, as you pointed out, can walk away. And that's that's the choice. If you want to call it a choice, you know, look, there's two roads. You know, there's one you can walk down to to uh, milk and honey and, and, and wonderful everlasting life. And there's one you can walk down where it's just curse. And, and, and he's <laughs> he's just warning them of the two paths. And, and I think that's what the role of the church is today to not go out there and try to convince people to sign on the dotted line to give their heart to Jesus or not to try to go out and convince the world that there is a God and they should obey him, but just to remind them that, that God exists whether you believe in him or not. And, and, he, yeah, and Jesus died for you to forgive you your sins whether you want them or not. And so look at these two roads. Walk down the path that leads to righteousness or don't. And I think that's, that's at least how I see it. Maybe it's a little black and white, but that's how I see it. Yeah, no, I think you're completely spot on. Um, and 31 and 32 kind of come back to that. The Lord's going to give you this land. He, that's what he wants you to have. Uh, it's, up, it's kind of up to you how long you live in it. If that makes any sense with what we have here. Verse 31, for you are to cross over the Jordan to go to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Be careful though. You'll live in it, but you may not live in it for very long um, if you do not obey these statutes that I give to you today. Well, unfortunately, we are at our time, brother, but it's been so nice having you on the show. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning. It's been the Reverend Jacob Herkamp. He's the pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Noblesville, Indiana. Brother, thanks so much for being on the program. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so very much. And blessings on your uh, PhD studies. Thank you. Now, tomorrow, folks, we will wrap up the week with the Reverend Stephen Tice, who will be joining us to open up Deuteronomy chapter 12. Now, in chapter 12, really, the narrative continues. Moses continues to instruct the Israelites, but now on the proper worship of the Lord as they prepare to enter the promised land. He commands them to destroy all the places where the nations they are to dispossess worship their gods and to worship the Lord only in the place that they will choose. Is that something we should be doing today? Oh, we'll talk about it. But then Moses also emphasizes the importance of not imitating the detestable practices of those nations. More stuff that we will be talking about tomorrow. So join us then. But until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.
Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store.